As we get started this morning, um, please do remember to pray for uh, Kathy, Sarah, uh, Sarah Hurley's mom. And uh, real quickly, also, Karen, any update from your stepdad? Okay, so please remember to pray for Karen Duncan's dad uh, in the hospital, trying to figure out what's going on there also. Um, Yeah. Our time this morning is, uh, I think, a very special one as we start in on the study of the life of Gideon. there's a lot of lessons here in this study. We might not cover all of them here. I know we won't cover it all this morning because next week we'll talk about Gideon. uh, And probably the next week after that we'll talk about Gideon. There's just, um, there are certain people that God decided to highlight in Judges a little more than others. So I know when Pastor Brennan comes uh, later on to finish up the series on the book of Judges, uh, he gets to talk about Samson. And uh, so that'll be a, a, a number of times there also. And just some incredible lessons for us here today in this day and age from the Old Testament book of Judges. And so um, let's, let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll get started here. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege. Lord, in a real interesting way, it's like all of us recognize our need like like Gideon did. We are anything but adequate, Lord. We want to think of ourselves as adequate. And yet, Lord, we need your, your help. We need your empowerment. We need your blessing in our lives to make any difference. Thank you for what you've accomplished through Jesus at Calvary. Thank you for the fact that the riches of your grace never stop. The riches of your grace just keep being offered up over and over. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing, incredible grace. Lord, help us in our study here this morning to see that rising to the surface here in Judges. Guide and direct by your Spirit, and may we continue being hungry for your Word and hungry, Lord, to honor and serve you in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Guess what? The sons of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them, the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian... The sons of Israel made for themselves dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up 
with the Malachites and the sons of the east and would go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. And so... Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. We have uh, a display, a very clear display here of God's chastening. Number one in your outline, if you'd like to follow along. Judges 6, 1 through 6, the chastening that God allowed. And it's, It's due because of one thing, folks. It's due because of a choice. You and I need to remember, there ends up being a choice. You and I make a choice every day. Well, here in the text, we see here's Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They had made a choice again. They followed along after the ways of the world, if we would put it that way, the ways of the world. And then here is the the clear, obvious description of sin in the camp. Sin in the land. Right? Here's the effects of sin. Letter A. In choosing to sin and do evil, God's people opened up the door. And greater and more widespread problems of sin came upon them. And it's very clearly depicted by the Midianites themselves. They camp against God's people. They camp with a team of other enemies, the Amalekites and the people from the east. They came in and they destroyed the produce. They left no sustenance, took whatever livestock they could. They were rampagers. They were marauders coming into the land. And they were innumerable. And they just wreak havoc and then head on out again. And here's why people ended up saying, hey, let's go up into the mountains. Let's carve out a cave and, and hang out. We, we don't know, you know, we can't handle them. It's overpowering. Midianites prevailed against the people of God because they chose to do evil. They chose to do their own thing. And now sin prevails in the life of God's people. The power of the Midianites. The description of the Midianites' invasion and their destruction is a fitting illustration of when we let sin rule in our lives. And people say, oh, I just, I don't know what the problem is. And I I get that. I understand when we say, I'm confused. I don't know what the problem is. But let me tell you, when you and I examine our own hearts, about where we've gone and what we've done and with the choices we made, a lot of times we go back to what? The issue of that, you know what? I let sin in the door. And I didn't think much of it. And then it grows. And then it mushrooms. And then other people around us kind of get contagious with it also. It's like attitudes rise up, right? 
attitudes of sin, compromise, all that. And so it starts with the effects of, of sin. Brought on by God allowing it, but brought on by here's people making that decision, making that choice, making that turn. Okay? And what comes up next? Well, the people cry out. And in our cycle of sin, remember in the previous messages, we talk about the cycle of sin in the book of Judges. Well, here, it doesn't just turn around where, oh, the people cry out and God's going to bring up a deliverer. No. This time, what happens different? Look at it. Verse 7. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet. Now it's different. The Lord sent a prophet. And here, now we see, point number one, we see God's chastening. Point number two, we see God's rebuke. God's rebuke to his what? To the unsaved? No, to his own people. God's rebuking his own people. With what? Here's the prophet. What does the prophet represent? God. He represents God. God's word. The Lord sent a prophet. And here, folks, here we see now the necessity of the Word of God. The necessity of the Word of God. Letter A. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. When you heard that as an Israelite, you stopped. Whoa! Divine revelation! Why? A prophet is speaking. They understood about a prophet in their day. And if the prophet wasn't right, guess what happened to the prophet? Ooh, bad news bears. He's not going to live. He's going to die. Folks, do you understand the seriousness of God speaking to his people in the Old Testament times? If a prophet wasn't right on, he died. Divine execution, so to speak. And so a prophet was careful. I've got to say what God has told me. The importance, again, of the Word of God. And what does he say? What is the, look at what the prophet says. <clears throat> In verse 8, The Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. There's the rebuke. He's already said this to them. This is a reminder of God's salvation work, of the great work of deliverance. This is who God is. This is what He's done. People, remember what God's done. That's what he's saying. So the prophet delivers the word, reminding the Israelites of God's mighty work of salvation, of delivering them from bondage, from slavery, to their freedom. And then secondly, reminds them of who God is. That's a great point, folks. Not that I said it, but the point is there. Do you remember and do you recall for yourself who God is and what He's about? His person, 
His characteristics, his attributes. Do you recall that? It's a good project for this week. You know, parents, if you've you got children at home, say, here we go. This week, we're going to do this. We're going to remember God's holiness or God's righteousness or God's long-suffering. Let's make it a project, remembering who God is. And the prophet is simply saying, look, you know what God's done. He delivered you. And then he says, they were not, they were not to fear. So he's addressed, the prophet has addressed Israel's very problem. They forgot God and they ended up living in fear. We, we have a hard time relating to that as Americans. You know, having a foreign nation rampaging us, marauding us. We, we, we don't necessarily connect those dots and relate to that idea. But you know what? You still, there's times where you still live in fear over something that you magnify in your mind and all of a sudden you're upset and anxious and fearful of something. And it's a, and it's a, uh, it's a speculation in your mind. It's something that's an image that's been blown up. We turned it into a, a monster because our minds aren't trained to what? Think on what God has done and who God is. And I'm not trying to suggest that we just, you know, pie in the sky, everything's rosy. Hey, just praise the Lord. I'm not trying to suggest that kind of um, attitude that just skips over the reality of the problems around you. But certainly, we need to think truth in our minds when we're facing problems, when we're facing issues in life. You've got to think truth. Bring to mind who God is when you're facing stuff like what we read of here. The problems of sin. Bring back truth to your mind. Okay? So, these are powerful words from the prophet. And yet, they're familiar words. They're not brand new words from the prophet. Right? Same thing for us. You, you're, most of you, you're familiar with the word. Keep bringing the word back into your mind to guide and direct in your walk. God's chastening. God's rebuke. And now God's deliverer. Number three, God's deliverer, Gideon. He's undergirded by grace. That's the best way to say it. He's simply undergirded by grace. Now, we're going to spend time on this point, you know, and, and just, you know, look at these testimonies of God's grace in the life of Gideon. The testimonies of God's grace in the life of Gideon. So letter A under number three is the testimony of God's purpose and provision. You see it right there. Point number one. The, the purpose and provision of God. Notice who shows up now. Notice who shows up. We've heard this person already in the book of Judges and we're going to hear of him again towards the end of the study of Judges. It's the angel of the Lord. And I was so 
I, I said, hey, you know, there's no other way around it. This is, this is God. This is not some angel like Gabriel or Michael. No, this is God on the scene. And we can see it again. It, it, it's proven by what he says. What he's saying. It, the proof is right there. It's pretty simple to see. This is not just some, some angelic being. No, this is God showing up. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son, Gideon, was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, right away you think, oh yeah, smart move, Gideon. Save your, save your stuff, your wheat, your food, your sustenance from the Midianites. But where is he? He's in a wine press. You don't, you don't do that kind of work in a wine press. You do it up on a hill or something out in the open where the wind or the breeze can blow away the what? The chaff. He's in a wine press. There's more chaff in here than wheat. It's, you know, all this right around him. And it, it, it's a sign of, here again, living in fear. You're living in fear of the enemy. Yeah, he was being smart, trying to, you know, save it. But nonetheless, here's a, another sign of living in fear. And so, right away, I want to mention this. What God's going to do here is take Gideon from being afraid to being affirmed. Okay? From being afraid to being affirmed. So, as with many Israelites, Gideon was found living in fear. And in the short conversation that they have, the angel of the Lord communicates both purpose and provision for Gideon and his life and his coming ministry. Okay? Let's look at what he says. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And right away, we ought to be thinking like, uh, this, this is a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, it's Gideon. Nothing special here. He's not some commander like Joshua. Right? He... And so this is a bit of a stretch, isn't it, Lord? No. Because here's communication of one's purpose. And what will follow is here's communication of the provision that's going to back up this purpose of life now. He says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. And now it's what you and I can relate to. He's, he's basically saying, Hey, where's the Lord in this? Where's the Lord in all this? And the Lord looked at him, verse 14, and said, Go in this your strength. What? He's just basically said one line to me, and now he says, Go in this your strength. What's the strength? The Lord is with you. Simply put, there it is. The Lord's going to be with you. That's really what he's being called to. Here's your purpose. Do you understand this? Christian, do you understand that? 
How often do we, you know, drift off thinking, well, gee, where's God? Where's God in this? That's what Gideon said in the previous verse. In verse 13, he's basically saying, hey, where's God in this? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know of his ongoing presence in your life? How is that? Through the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer of Jesus, the believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christian. You are. How's your attitude this morning? How's your attitude Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? How is it? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is His. You're not your own. Right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to Him. Okay? So I need to identify myself in that way as a child of God. And thus say, Lord, feed me with your word so I can live according to my position, my, I, my true identity in Christ. So God causes us, and Gideon, and God causes us to see by faith who you really are. There's purpose in life. Do you need much more than that? Well, we'd like to you know, have some detail. Young people say, well, I, I want to know what to do with my life. Well, the Bible says glorify God in your body. In your body. Glorify Him. In your body. Well, what's a part of your body? Your mind, your brain. How do you glorify God in your brain, in your mind? Fill it with the right things. Fill it with the truth of God. Okay? So, purpose and provision that He is with you. He will be your strength. How often I forget. No, it's got to be Woody's strength. Uh, Woody can fix it. Woody can do blah, blah, blah. But I'm forgetting my true strength. It's by His strength. And folks, He knows your circumstances like He did with Gideon. He didn't need to hear from Gideon. He knew. He knew what Gideon was facing. He knew why Gideon was in the wine press. He knew. He knows your circumstances. But you know what? He's much more concerned with what are you going to become? What will you become? Even for you older folks, older saints, you're done kind of with your job, your career, you're retired. He still wants to see you become more and more like his son, Jesus. He's more concerned with what we will become as we trust in him. Point number B under number three more about the testimony of God's grace is the testimony of God's presence and peace. So Gideon wants to be really clear on things. And so he, in verse 17, look at it. By the way, God promises in verse 16, surely I will be with you. You shall defeat Midian as one man. God promises that. Okay, then, verse 17, so Gideon said to him, okay, if now I have found favor, what's he saying there? If now I have found grace, if I have found grace or favor in thy sight, then show me a sign that it's thou who speakest with me. 
please do not depart from here until I bring back uh, to thee. I come back to the end. What he's going to do is bring a sacrifice. Now he's entering in. If you aren't familiar with this, he's entering into saying, let's worship. I'm going to worship now. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring a sacrifice. And, and the angel of the Lord kind of clarifies things. Okay, take that away and get this on the rock. Get the bread and the, un, uh, the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock. And what happens? Approval. Boom, fire. Consume the offering. Okay? So there, there you have it, right? There's the sign, Gideon. And so what happens? The angel of the Lord, in verse 21, drop down to verse 21, the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. The fire sprang up, consumed the offering, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon, look at 22, look at it. Verse 22, when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord, my God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. What is he implying? I could die. I could die. I've seen God. I have seen God. And then, we're not sure how, if the angel of the Lord came back or the voice from heaven called out, Verse 23, what does it say? Get the connection here, my friend. And the Lord said to him, peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You know what? Here's a portion of the gospel shouting out to us. Do you get this? Gideon knew he had experienced God in his presence. And God replies, peace to you. So, okay, this is from God. The Bible says this is from God. Peace to you. According to God, who knows all and sees all, He's confirming peace to Gideon. Right relationship. What happens when a person trusts in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior? What's happened? Romans 5, 1, right? Therefore, being justified by faith we have we're not sure about that we have peace with god there's gideon now gideon has here's peace god says to him peace be with you do not fear you shall not die now right there it's an immediate promise you know you're not going to die because you've just seen god but let's, let's put the gospel lenses on, folks. When you put your trust in Christ, there's, there's peace with God and you don't need to fear anymore. Why? Because greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. And you will live forever. You will live forever. You'll have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. Eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do you? Do you know that? And that's not some dream because you're so nice of a person. But no, you recognize your sinful behavior. You recognize your wretched state and condition before God. And God has graced you with His peace. And therefore He can say, Do not fear. You shall not die. You know, here's again... A bunch of verses that come forth from Jesus. 
John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live forever. Never die. You'll live forever because of Jesus. It's only by the grace of God that a person will recognize God's presence and God's peace. And what a blessing and what a cause for... Listen, and this is the theme behind Gideon. It's cause for your encouragement to grow in your faith. How many times have you personally felt like you're weak in the faith? Oh yeah, you better raise your hand. <laughs> there shouldn't be a one that, that just said, no, I'm good. You can't. There's always a time where you might you just sense, you know, oh my goodness, if I just had more faith. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's a, a constant thing. So what do I remember here? Has God departed? Does God forsake his own? No. Hebrews 13. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you, do you pull those promises to your heart? Or are you just thinking that, well, it's up to me and how I feel. I hope I get a good day today. Or are you trusting in the living one, the risen one, who promises you strength, who promises his, his presence, his strength, the peace of God that passes all understanding? Romans 8, 14 and 15. Jot that reference down. Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba. What does Abba mean? Daddy. Daddy. I know, it's like sometimes I have a problem with that. It's like, you can call God Daddy. I, it's like, really? That's what Romans 8 is telling you. What kind of confidence do you have in Him? You know, kids, you can run to Daddy and say, Daddy! And have confidence and put your arms around Daddy, right? Yeah. Christian, do we? Probably because we are not locked in about this issue of His presence and His peace. Let us see what happens next. Verse 25. And by the way, Gideon in verse 24 builds the altar. He's into worship now. Here we go. I'm going to build an altar and let's see, what do I call it? Oh, the Lord is peace. How beautiful is that? The Lord is peace. Okay, verse 25. Here's letter C is the testimony of God's preeminence. And this is about the proof of his faith now. The proof of his faith. Verse 25. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father... And cut down the Asherah that is beside it. That's that wooden symbol of the female deity, the Asherah. 
Baal and Asherah kind of went together, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now it's, it's a test. Here's the test of his faith. The proof of his faith. Okay? Pull down the altar. Cut down the Asherah. This is about one thing. Consecration. His, the individual Gideon, his consecration unto serving the Lord. Consecration is simply the idea of means being dedicated or devoted to service. Parents, in the past we've had um, baby uh, dedications. Well, we make that a parent-baby dedication combined thing. It's dedicating yourself as a parent and your child to the Lord. That's the idea. Dedication. It's like we could say it's a consecration of mother and dad, uh, mother and father and child. Okay? So it's clear in the Bible that there are to be no other gods for God's people. There's only one true God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Another reference I'd like you to jot down is 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.4. You military people, whether you're retired or active still, 2 Timothy 2.4 relates to this very thing. Paul writing to, referring to consecrated Christians, consecration, the idea here, no soldier in active service entangles himself in what? In the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Folks, you and I as Christians have those moments where you're called to do something. And the big question is, will we go and do it like Gideon? Go and pull down the altar of Baal and receive pressure from other people. You did what? How could you do that? All sorts of different angles of that pressure comes upon us. But what does Gideon do? Yeah, he did it at night time. Okay. But he, what? He did it. He went and pulled down the, that altar. He went and pulled down the symbol of, of godlessness, of do your own thing, of sensuality, all that. He pulls that down. And so the question obviously comes, what about in your life? Is there something that you need to pull down, that you need to crush, that you need to get rid of? This is what will bring forth revival in your life, my friend. When you say, I will get rid of that that aspect, that habit, that practice, I will get rid of that. A lot of it just comes down to the issue of discipline. Your discipline upon yourself. Where does that come from? It comes from the principles of God's Word. You read and you, you put it together and you say, Oh, God's helped me to understand. I need to stop this. Children, your obedience factor at home. Right? It's a matter of saying, Yeah, I need to do that. Why? Because God is pleased with that. I can honor God that way. And then the results, well, really, Gideon does what? He just demonstrates a genuine faith by going down and doing that. 
And the result, he didn't know it ahead of time, but the result is his dad stands with him. And it's really a cool observation on his dad's part. Gideon's father just says basically, hey, you know, let, let Baal contend for himself. If Baal's true God, let, let Baal do something about this. Let's see what he does. <laughs> Obviously, nothing was done. So, folks, like Gideon, this is a turning point for Gideon. I want to encourage you about a turning point in your life regarding consecration. Young people in the high school, you get challenged with this all the time. Will you dedicate yourself in, like, here's consecration to God about this. And parents and grandparents and all people in the body, we need to be lifting the high school students up in prayer to maintain this, to say, God, help me to remember, you're my strength when I take a stand for Jesus on the high school campus. You're my strength. Let's, let's encourage our students in this way. And let Baal contend for himself. I, I love that. Okay. Letter D and letter E under number three kind of go together. They kind of overlap. Okay. So letter D is God's testimony to his power. The power factor now is, here we go, we're ready. And the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. And what did Gideon do? Not out of celebration did he blow the trumpet. That could have been there. Celebrate the Spirit of God coming upon him. But he blew the trumpet for service. Now he's ready for service. And he calls the others to him in serving and fighting the battle. Okay? Then letter E. The promise. The testimony of God's promise. Verses 36 through 40. You say, what? I thought this was about God's kind of rebuking Gideon for throwing out the fleece. You familiar with the story about the fleece? Well, here we go. Gideon puts out a fleece. Okay? We see it in verse 36 through 40 to the end of the chapter. Gideon said to God, If thou wilt deliver Israel. Now, he's got the service guys with him. He's with them. You know, maybe it's nighttime. He's together. They're raring to go. Gideon said to God, If thou wilt deliver Israel through me as thou hast spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor if there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground around it, then I will know that thou wilt deliver Israel through me as thou hast spoken. Oh, he kind of, what did he do there? He just kind of said, you've already told me as you've spoken this, Lord, but will you do this for me just to confirm? And God does it. That's a, can you say miracle? That's a miracle. Okay, might not, Compare on the, on the scale with the resurrection of Jesus, but it's a miracle. All right? Well, then Gideon, verse 39, said, uh, Do not let thine anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. And God did so that night. Can you, folks, can you say, Grace, 
grace. There's God's grace again. He stoops. God stoops to weak Gideon. God stoops to him and says, okay, I'll do this. Even though I've already told you, I'll do it. Here you go. And God continues to pour out his grace to his people. And we need to be alert to that and thank him for that. Identifying that, praising him for that. See, what was Gideon facing? We, we kind of look down on Gideon for putting out the fleece. Do we? Or may we say, oh, I'm going to try that too. I'm going to put out a fleece. What was Gideon facing? He was facing a life-threatening situation. He was facing dangerous enemy. He could have, you know, he was thinking, am I going to... Am I going to be killed in this battle? You know, sure, he he was told that he would defeat Midian. But, you know, you're looking around and you're thinking of all the circumstances and you're, you're going into battle. So he asked God for a sign and he did it a second time. And God answered him. Listen, as we close this out here for this morning... We, we look at it ourselves. Do we say, Christians, do we, do we set out fleeces? Are we supposed to? Or is that something off limits? And we, we remember, yeah, Gideon was dealing with something that was fatally dangerous, a fatally dangerous situation. And God answers him. Listen, was this the norm for Christians? Was it the norm to put out a fleece? We don't see that. We don't see it as a practice for the believer in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But what's he getting at? How do I determine God's will for my life? And all of us ought to be concerned about that. If, if we've kind of got things settled in our lives, we're older and all, again, pray for the younger people about determining God's will for their life. How do they determine God's will for their life? Is God like the Easter bunny? And, and as the Easter bunny, he kind of hides all the precious things away that you've got to go searching for them? How does God reveal his will? Is it, in all, do you, is it just by, simply by way of dreams? Illusions? Listen, God has revealed his will right here in the word of God. And you and I better be in the Word of God so that we will understand the will of God for our lives. And we will never experience, as individuals or as a group, we will never uh, experience revival if we aren't in the Word. It starts with the Word of God in our lives, active and powerful in our lives. And no matter what TV preachers say about, you know, visions and this and that, it still comes back to the Word of God. Okay? Are you saved? Here's how you determine God's will. Are you saved? There's step one in the will of God. You're saved. That's the will of God for your life, that you're saved. Then following that, are you in the Scriptures? Are you spending time in the Word of God? That's God's will for your life. Are you being sanctified? 
is there a process of sanctification? Yes, it's supposed to be happening from, from God's perspective, but are you responding to it? Are you responding to the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God, making you more like Christ, making you holy in your behavior? Are you and I responding to that? That's God's will for your life. Are you being Spirit-controlled? Controlled by the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. That's God's will for my life and your life. Submission to Him. Just on a regular, ongoing basis, submission to Him. Recognizing, I need to submit to the Lord in my decisions, in my behavior, in my conversation, in out, all, all the way around town, all the way around home. I'm responding, I want to respond to God. Yes, you stumble. Yes, I stumble. Yes, we fall. Get up, confess your sin, and keep walking in the direction that God wants you to go. Are you in the will of God? Are you saved? Are you in the scriptures? Are you being sanctified? Are you spirit controlled? Are you serving him? That's the will of God for your life. Don't just sit back and say, well, I got my ticket to heaven. No, it's getting involved. Serve him. And say, I do that at home. Well, yeah, you better. But you need to be plugged into the church body. Why? You've been baptized into the body of Christ. You are saved and placed into the body of Christ. You're members of one another. There needs to be serving going on by God's people. So I don't think we need the fleece, do you? Yeah, it might be. There might be some big decision that you have to make and you, you might just say, I'm going to put out a fleece. Well, you go for it. But don't do the flip the coin penny. Well, let's heads or tails. Come on. Is that going to be a miraculous uh, decision? I tell you what would be. I don't have a coin, but if you, you took a coin and flipped it up and said, edge, edge, not tails, not heads, edge. There is a fleece. Now, my point is, don't major on a fleece. Major on what God has revealed already. The will of God is in the word of God. Grow in the word. Grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're like Gideon, we all pretty much can feel like Gideon. I'm not very adequate, Lord. Who am I? Guess what? God's strength can overwhelm us. God's strength is available there for the believer. Would you put your trust in Him today? Would you recognize that and walk in what He's given us? Seek God and seek His kingdom first. And remember how God is not begrudging about His grace. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't begrudge you of His grace. I tell you what, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this time in Your Word. Thank You for the many... um, Gems of grace in the life of, in the story of Gideon. Lord, help us not to be good, uh, just good historians, but help us to be good applicators, applying the word of God to our lives through your strength, through your leading. Change us, O God. Mold us, shape us. 
forgive us for our stubbornness, Lord. Help us to be alert to that and help us to humble ourselves before you and watch you do a great and awesome work. Thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and you are dismissed.